welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Would you welcome, please, Barbara Carhill. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Well, Psalm 40 has long been uh, a favorite psalm of mine, and it's been underlined in, well, the first few verses have been underlined in my Bible for quite a while. So, the first verse. I waited patiently for the Lord, The more I thought about uh, that verse, I asked myself the question, do I or do we always wait patiently for prayer to be answered? I know during my bouts of back pain, um, and I know I'm just far from being patient, I came to the conclusion It's God who is patient with us. He's always there, just waiting for us to call on his name, ever patient for us to draw near with words of love, faith and praise. God has always wanted me to be, to understand this, uh, that he is sufficient For any problem, he is faithful, and I can depend on him. But I don't always remember this. Verse 2, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. There have been times when it felt like being in a pit, a dark place with no escape, sometimes of my own making, but also through no fault of my own, just, well, unable to change what was going on. When my daughter died, having just come to know Jesus for herself, I I just couldn't understand it. I'd just lost my best friend. We did so much together. And I was angry. I was hurt and depressed. And for a long time, I was unable to pray for myself. And I was working at the Bethesda nursing home. And then one day, singing choruses round the piano... In the home, Jesus touched me, and with tears running down my face, I was bathed in his Holy Spirit. In that moment, God healed my heart, 
I'm going to read out a couple of verses of the hymn that that meant so much that just sort of broke in on my life. I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. Yet one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future, and he'll guide me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So, as I face tomorrow, with its problems, large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles and give to him my all. Um, back to the, the pit, really. Um, and I thought of Joseph being placed in that pit by his brothers and how God rescued him and changed him and um, did wonderful things with him uh, for the good of so many people. And I thought about speaking words of doubt, how, how often we, we grumble and think of words of doubt, but it, it just tends to make life worse. But words of faith brings change and it lifts us, it lifts us up and brings hope and change. God hears our cry. So, still in this verse 1, he heard my cry and turned to me. Now, the King James Bible um, states, it doesn't say turned, it says, he inclined unto me. And I really like that. It gives me a picture of God um, bending down and speaking into my ear with words of comfort and love. And the epistle of James, uh, chapter 1, says that when we're faced with trials, consider it joy. The testing of our faith develops perseverance so that we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. This got me thinking of the part of the Bible where it says the clay in the hands of the potter. And in Isaiah um, 61, 64, verse 8, Uh, It reads, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Not until we look back can we see how God has shaped us over the years. I'm going to share with you a little story simple story really I I think it's a bit like a parable that our Lord gave to me some time ago uh, when I was praying and it is during the war we were unable to buy knitting wool 
In actual fact, we weren't able to buy much at all. It was all rationed. And my dear grandma would sit every afternoon and unpick old jumpers, uh, keeping the best yarn, and she'd wash it carefully. And I can remember seeing it hanging up on the line to dry um, in skeins. And then she'd knit it up into socks for the soldiers or for prisoners of war and send them off. And Father showed me um, that that's what he does with us. He untangles our lives and Jesus washes us clean and makes us new and shapes us into how he can use us. You gave me, you set my feet upon a rock and you gave me a firm place to stand. That rock is Jesus, our rock and our salvation. We can all remember the old chorus, uh, stand on the rock and not upon the sand. I can remember singing that when I was a child. In everyday life, if we climb up on a a rock and we stand on the rock, very often it's because we want to see um, further than we can see already and take in beautiful scenery or maybe see what path to take next. And I think that's, you know, what being on the rock that Jesus has placed us. I think that's what it's all about. And when Jesus comes into our life, we're washed clean by his Holy Spirit. Through his sacrifice on the cross, his Holy Spirit helps us to see life as we have never seen it before. We take in more of God's beauty and creation And Jesus also shows us other people's needs, um, makes us better servants. He helps us lay down old habits. He doesn't just pull the rug from under our feet, but gently changes us and fits us to show his love. A wonderful verse in 1 Peter, verse 8 tells us, though we do not see Jesus, we love him, believe in him, and are filled with inexpressible joy. A new song in my mouth, a song of love and praise, a song that bubbles up. You know, when we get up in the morning, sometimes the choruses that we've been singing on the Sunday just sort of bubble up and that's that's God's Holy Spirit and um, God gives us a voice to share Jesus with others we are truly blessed when we trust our Lord he helps us turn away 
from worldly temptations. I really feel for young people today because there is just so many temptations. I know when I was growing up there were temptations, but it was not like it is today. The only way is to trust Jesus and he will keep our hearts safe. The wonder God has planned for us. Um, And I really thought about this. um, Beginning with the beauty of the world and creation. It is so wonderful that only God's hand could have created it. The wonder of science and medicine. Um, God has given man the intellect to discover all these things, things that have always been there all the time, just waiting to be discovered. Uh, But we need to treasure these and, and really look after them and treat them with good. A sacrifice and an offering that um, God doesn't desire from us, but he does want our love. Jesus gave his life freely for us. Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross, and we are forgiven. When it talks about our ears being pierced, um, I felt that God had opened my ears and to hear the Lord's voice. Um, Somehow, just like Samuel, we need to answer, here I am, Lord, with a desire to follow and do his will. In Jesus, God's laws are made perfect in our hearts and our lives. Thank you. Great job. Thanks, Barbara, ever so much. Let's uh, turn to someone uh, around us and share what's the thing that will stick in your mind uh, of what you've heard over the last uh, few minutes. What's the thing that has grabbed your attention? Go. Great. Hold those thoughts, and uh, would you would you welcome Mr. Daniel Luchford?
So everyone, hello everyone, I'm Daniel, um, and I'm up here today as I'm keen to talk about some verses that stood out to me in this passage, and these verses are verse 6 to 8. It says, You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You, do not, you don't require burnt or sin offerings. Then I said, Look, I have come, as it's written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. As you see so clearly straight away, it's demonstrating to us that you, God, takes no delight in these sacrifices and offerings that we humans are giving to him. But what do typical Christian sacrifices and offerings look like? This may be the simple task of going to church, tithing, and even reading your Bible. At first it seems strange. Why is God not delighting in these things that he has asked us and has told us um, are good for us? Although these are all great stuff, and I think we should definitely keep doing them, but what David is saying is that God doesn't delight in these things in themselves. As he makes David listen and open his ears to his voice, we realize it's the conversation, the relationship that God requires. It's the conversation that matters and the connection we have through listening to him speak that he truly delights in. So, I wanted to encourage you today on how we can firstly listen to him and then secondly remembering to obey what he says when he speaks to us. That's what he truly delights in. So firstly, how can we encourage one another to listen? We all know everybody's different and in this we all have different ways of listening and spending time with Jesus. We can give our ideas and techniques, um, techniques, which is a great way to work out what's best for you. So don't feel discouraged if you feel like you're doing it right, because not not doing it right, sorry, um, because there are so many ways of doing it, and things work differently for everyone. So here's a question for you: What works for you? I often know when I can listen easier. It is definitely when I'm relaxed and comfortable, focusing on the person I want to listen to, which is Jesus. This I'm still trying to perfect with my family and friends also. I've recently been using Lecto 365, an app on my phone run by the guys at 24-7 Prayer. It leads you in prayer and helps you to focus on God, giving you a scripture each day to dwell on to. They say to control your breathing and take deep breaths. The initial idea of breathing deeply and slowly never came to me, and, and since I've been doing it, I've been doing it at work in, in busy moments. It helps you to focus on what's important and what tasks you need to get done at the time. So this made sense when adding it into, the, in, into listening to Jesus. This is how they start each devotional time, and I found it really helpful. As I enter now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. The lady speaking has a really nice voice, plus the guy reading the verse of that day is Irish and it, and it sounds proper smooth. Um, so give it a try. Along with that, I've heard from friends that God speaks through other ways and I consider adding them into my quiet time. Things like making, like definitely make sure you read your Bible because that is his living word. He's speaking through it all the time. Um, make, like if you're a creative person, um, do art. Drawing, painting, as you can see there. 
um, and maybe try out photography if that is for you. And um, that is such a great way, I think, is to um, focus on God's um, creation outside as well. Um, worship music, that is a really good one for me. Um, listening into the lyrics and listen through the beat. You may remember a few weeks ago that we put up loads of examples of prayer on the whiteboards to help encourage one another. Well, not try something new or different this week to help improve our listening. I just realised there's nothing on the whiteboard, but there was a few weeks ago. <laughs> okay, story time. So there's a company called Outside In, and who I've bought some clothing off for the last couple of years. And when you buy something, they give you an item to give to someone who's homeless. And I've got two of these items, and I've been given two items along with them. Um, as you can see, I'm wearing one today. Um, and um, I was in my room, and I was cleaning um, my room out, and I realized that the two items I had on the floor, um, I had, I've had the hat for two years. I was supposed to give it to someone straight away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, recently been, I've been recently given a blanket, um, and so that, that's okay. Um, but... I saw these items on the floor and I saw, like, I felt God whisper and he's like, um, you know, you should give them away today. And I felt like the affirming voice of him saying, you, you know, you can do this. Just be brave. And like, that spoke to me. And the thing is, every time I took these items into town, I just came away being, um, feeling anxiety and unconfident in myself and that I can't approach these people and give them the items. Um, and I always came away just feeling quite ashamed, really. Um, but today was different. I, um, I felt God whisper to me, and he was like, you're going to do this today. So I picked them up, and I went into town. And um, I, yeah, I saw these two guys, and, um, and they, they were going to be the people who I was going to give them to. One didn't have a hat, and they were obviously um, sleeping rough. Um, so I gave the guy the hat and I gave him the blanket and I talked about what outside in is um, and, um, and then I walked away feeling like I'd done God's will and he encouraged me to do that and he affirmed me to do that. So, woo. So, now that you may have made me listen, verse 6, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Verse 8. We do need to listen, but secondly, we need to learn to be obedient to what he says, and he'll not wait two years until we are. It's easy to put, to put off being obedient, to leave it till tomorrow or next week, soon as next month, next year. We can put off getting baptized. I'll do it later. We can put off putting a relationship right. Oh, I'll do it soon. We can put off stepping out in something that we know God has laid on our hearts. I'll do it when I'm feeling confident and when I'm a little bit older. We can put off not showering or bathing. We can put off giving a hat away and a blanket away. And it's just easy to say, I will do it, but just not today. We see from these verses that as David is learning to carefully listen to God in his dedicated quiet times, God is changing his heart for him and making it kingdom purpose. And David's relationship with him is so much stronger than ever. And so David says, I have joy in doing your will. That's what I discovered. It was a great joy to give away that hat and blanket, to do what I knew God was asking. Verse 8. 
So the more time I spend listening to God, the more I want to do for him. Are there, are there some things God has been speaking to you about that you still haven't, um, still haven't done? Well, go do it. There is great joy waiting for you when you do. Amen. Great job. Okay. Uh, have a chat with someone about two things. One, tell someone else the moments in life when you find it easiest to hear God speak. Second thing to chat about is, is there something that you know you should do that you haven't done yet? Awkward. Off you go. It's uh, super easy to hear some stuff that touches us, that we know we need to hold on to and do something about, and just as easy to walk out the door and forget all about it. Jot it down on your smartphone, send yourself a text or an email, jot it down in your journal, somewhere where you will be prompted to go back to what you're thinking about right now. Great. Have a little stretch, everybody. This is like the final bend. Final 100 metres. It's where it all happens. Would you give a Bullington welcome to Mr. Paul Bolton, everybody? Good morning. Hi. So, um, yeah, as, as Simon said, I'm Paul. Um, so when I read these verses for the first time after, after being invited to participate in this TED Talk, I, I really laughed out loud. And, uh, and that's because uh, less than two months ago, um, I found myself um, in this situation. <laughs> so quite literally stuck in the mud. Um, and as a format to responding to this passage, um, I'd like to share with you a couple of times that I found myself stuck in the mud of life. One metaphorical and one literal. Um, And in sharing with you a couple of these experiences, I want to share what I've learned about myself and about how God acts within my experience and within my heart in order to set my feet on a rock, to give me a firm place to stand as his son. Um, And as I work as a business analyst, um, I'm afraid as well as telling a couple of different stories, I've also drawn out a systems diagram which I hope will help me articulate exactly how my head and heart have been at play during these situations, whilst also perhaps showing some of the dynamic that I think the passage describes. So, the first story, um, in fact, I'll just have the the, the diagram up. Yeah, I've got the whole one. So this this is the diagram, and basically I'm going to tell two stories. Uh, one which focuses on the right-hand side, the first story, which is quite it's all sort of negative cycles around how I respond to suffering. And the second story around kind of the, the sort of virtuous cycles of learning that, that God's beckoning me into. So the f- first story then, um, this is one where I found myself stuck in some metaphorical mud. In fact, I think in sort of common language, we'd probably use a different term to mud, but it's definitely brown and very sticky. Um, so I work in London most of the time, um, and I regularly get the train into to, uh, Liverpool Street, um, and it can be very triggering for me. Uh, in particular, there's one occasion I'm thinking of where I was getting the last train home. Um, I generally leave lots of things right to the last minute, um, and so in this case, I got there at um, 11 o'clock, 29 minutes and 15 seconds being aware that they close and lock the doors 30 seconds prior to the advertised time of departure. 
But I knew that I was in the right. So I went to reach and uh, open the, uh, the door, and I found that it was locked. And instantly I saw red. I was overwhelmed with a sense of it, it not being fair and that I was somehow being, you know, kind of wronged by Greater Anglia, which is kind of true. Um, so I called over the guard and basically just lost my... Sh- um, yes, I was rather angry with him. Um, and kind of said that I had a contractual right to get on the train and I pay seven grand a year to go, so please let me on. And he, he didn't really have any of it. So I escalated further and I put my foot underneath the train and wouldn't let the train leave. Uh, and that's the point where they called the police. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. I was not at the time. Um, and I got arrested. So, so what have I learned from this on this diagram? Well, um, how did it feel when I tried that train door and found that it was locked? I suppose my heart responded, basically screaming out, it's not fair. That was my initial gut reaction. And quite often in these situations, it isn't fair. The train trying to leave early without me wasn't fair, and it felt like I was in the right to take the action I took. And I suppose in general, my expectation that life, particularly my life, should be fair, often creates a bit of a slimy pit for me to fall in. And this exception, this situation is no exception. Incidentally, I suppose it's refreshing to know that we're not promised that life will be fair. In fact, Jesus promises the inverse. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in this situation, I definitely wasn't following Jesus' advice. Rather than taking heart, I was quick to take offence, be outraged at the injustice of my situation in a way that was completely absent of any trust in God as a good father to me. Instead of of simple trust in the face of the unexpected, a sort of, what's next, Father? How are we going to get out of this one? My heart jumped to, how can I make sure that I'm going to get what I want because nobody else is looking out for me? And I suppose this is what I mean by the term um, orphanhood. Verbalized, it's the sense that it's up to me to make life work. It's the state of heart where I deny the love and presence of the Father or where I distrust his heart or his ability. And when my heart is in this position of being alone, of it feeling like it's all up to me, I default to those things I know I can do in my own strength, and they generally work. I, as the psalmist says in the passage, look to the example of the proud, to those who worship false gods. In following the example of the proud, I put my energy into the things that I think will most easily, and within my own control, give me success, safety, and comfort. And on that platform at Liverpool Street, my default response was to anger and argument, to stubbornness and intellectual foot stamping. I defaulted to these behaviours because they felt like the best way that I could bend the situation to my will. And this, for me, um, all happened in a flash, in a series of moments. But I think it's also possible to stay in this state for a prolonged period of time. And that's what I mean by shallow success. It's where in our aloneness and our pride, we settle on a narrow range of behaviours and skills that seem to guarantee us the best shot at self-protection or success. It's the realisation that, that this thing, this behaviour, this, this way of being is going, to, is going to be how I make my world work. And on these things, I think people build whole careers and characters. We find a trick that works for us and then we sweat it 
and sweat it and sweat it until, well, it doesn't work, until we fall and fail, until a trick ceases to function in some particular situation. In that story, that was when the police arrived and explained to me that I was breaking the law, obstructing a train, and that I was now under arrest. And when it all falls apart like this, I think we then jump straight into what the psalm terms as a sacrifices and offerings mode. In my fruitless anger, I felt exposed and ashamed. And I quickly sought to change tack, to spin around and to work out, what can I do to make it better? To be restored to that place of comfort and safety, of being seen to be in the right, righteous, on the right side of the law. Who do I need to apologize to? And how can I escape the consequences, which could have been quite serious, of of my actions? In a cruel irony, this kind of thinking can just lead me to more striving to the conviction that I must try harder. It can further underline our aloneness and enslave us into refining how we self-protect. It's the loop that I've numbered between two and three, a vicious cycle which conspires to keep us pinned down. Unfortunately, it can also feel very pious as well, that we sort of choose to serve our penance and work our way out of things. And that is a really cruel trap of religion. Again, it's refreshing to know that it's not God's desire for us. He doesn't want us to live trapped like this. The psalm tells us he doesn't desire our sacrifices and offerings, doesn't want us to try and make it up to him, or even try and make it better in our own strength. He wants us to trust him, trust him as a child simply trusts the goodness of their parents. Well, most of the time. His desire is not to shame us. That's the work of the enemy, not our father. So the good news is that even in my sorry state, in my feeling of being trapped and ashamed, God did not leave me there. He came and sought me out. What feels impossible for man is possible for God. And what felt impossible and overwhelming when I eventually got back home and was lying in my bed with all those overwhelming worries about the impact of a criminal record, my job, my ability to provide for my family... In the midst of that impossibility, amongst thoughts of my own consequences and cursedness, right there, I got a glimpse of the Father's love for me. A love that, in the midst of the mud and mire, called me a son, called me to stand on the firm ground of his love, free of shame and full of hope. Rather than cursedness, I felt the blessing that only a son receives, the blessing that Jesus describes when he says, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, even in your brokenness. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And that everything that can't be bought, can't be strived for and earned, that's the love of our Father for us. Okay, second story. So... In the second story, I find myself literally stuck in the mud. Um, And in a similar way to the first story, this was a situation that I definitely got myself into. It was all down to my own foolishness. But in this one, the reaction of my heart was very different, and it had very different outcomes. So uh, one of the things I like to do is to go shooting. Um, And one of the places I like to do it is on the foreshore and the kind of the mud mud flats and things. That was one of the great joys um, of moving up to to Suffolk from Essex, is you have an amazing coastline and you get loads of geese and stuff, and I I like to go and shoot them. Um, So uh, 
two months ago, at the end of the, the, the duck shooting season, um, I was going to a, a new place that I'd not been shooting before, and I followed this map, and basically it's a place called Barthorpe's Creek, it's kind of near Orford, and I'd walked down a seawall, and the shooting rights that I had were the other side of the water, the tide was out, so I thought I'd walk down into the mud, into the water that was kind of at my ankles, and then up the other side, and then go and ex- inspect this other area. Unfortunately, when I got to the bottom, standing in the river, I then tried to climb out the other side. I just got completely stuck, um, like really stuck, so up to kind of my knees to start with. And very quickly, I realized that I couldn't free myself, um, as I had done in the past. And so I had to call the fire brigade, uh, and they had to come and find me, um, about a mile or so from the road, uh, and then throw a rope around me and pull me out. And all of that took about 25 minutes them to get there. And the tide was coming in, so it went from a position of being like here up to here in water. And as I was at the bottom of the river, it would have gone above my head probably reasonably quickly. So, uh, how is this this story? I suppose different from the first. In many ways, the situation was potentially more serious than me just missing my last train. But this time, I managed to catch my heart and to guard it against distrust. And instead, I turned my ear just enough to hear my father speak first. And what did, what did I hear? I heard an invitation. And with it, the father's joy and delight toward me. The invitation was to simply depend on him. And in that, to learn that I can rely on him and that he can be relied upon. And there was real rest in this. I literally could do nothing but just sit in the mud and wait. If I struggled, I'd just get, get deeper and more stuck. It strikes me that when we try to avoid suffering by sheltering in easy success and comfort, like stuff over there, we miss out on learning that we really can do all things in him. Indeed, through going through similar circumstances, shipwrecks, etc., and lots worse, Paul is able to say in Philippians that he knows how to be brought low and how to abound, that he has learned that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. It's this that I felt my father encouraging me into, to embrace the humbling and dependence in order that I might learn something deeper about his love and the freedom, you guys might call it recklessness, that his love offers. That he's offering me something more than being simply mud-free in a sort of clean and sterile sense. In his rescue, he's calling me out of the mud and onto firm ground that I might grow, might take risks, expectant of the return the adventure, and the prize. This is classic parent-child. This is the kind of early years development that I'm walking through with my children, Henry and Emily. I allow them to suffer forms of hardship, give them the freedom to fail, not to teach them like a lesson, but to teach them that they are loved, that no matter what, I've got their back. And if I, as an average parent, love like this, then the father's love goes further still. His love really is a strong foundation. It's solid ground. It's a firm place to stand and upon which to build our lives. So, the end of the diagram over there, shalom. By this, I just mean wholeness or fully integrated, fully you, where the you is the you that the Father intended when he intended you. And steps one, two, three, four on the left-hand side are the process I see of becoming whole, of being restored to your full stature as a son of God. And this is a process. It starts with that foundation of knowing a little bit of his love, a little bit of the firmness of the rock on which we stand, 
And the process continues as we allow him to open our ears so we can listen. And it continues further with waiting patiently and expectantly in the midst of suffering. In my experience, this process is a loop. I go round the cycle again and again and again, each time suffering and submitting. And in that, learning something deeper about what it means to be his son and to be me, my father's son. So there's a kind of wash and repeat element to the process. And there has to be, because that's how intimacy and trust are established. How his instructions become written on my heart. And that's where I'm at now. I don't doubt that there'll be more mud to come. But I feel confident to declare, in the midst of what I'm struggling with, many are the wonders that you have done, the things that you have planned for me. Thanks. For someone nominated to be a Burlington trustee, that's the best pitch I've ever heard. What is God saying to you today? Great stuff about that trust that Barbara was talking about. Finding finding God in the darkness of our anger and our pain and our frustration. That freedom that Dan was talking about to... To, to listen and to obey and the joy that that brings. And that process of becoming sons and daughters that Paul was talking about, that, that that which causes us to suffer, that we would shy away from, becomes a doorway, a gateway into going deeper into the Father's heart. Amazing truths from Psalm 40. And the first few verses. And so we encourage one another in these moments to, to take hold of what you are saying to us. To go back to the words of that psalm. To reflect again on what we've heard. That we might be people that move it into action and response. And so discover the joy that David discovered. The joy of doing your will. Of being your child. And so we open up our hearts even as we sing. Let's just stand together and begin to respond in our hearts all that God is, is doing in us.